Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay. Hello. That's uh, probably too loud again, isn't it? I'll go, just yeah, just get a bit, bit, yeah, I'll exactly. Just, a bit just like as if you just come in. <laughs> You're just walking in. This is your, the bit you sort of say as you're coming yeah. onto the stage. I should just go like, Oh, hello. Didn't see you come in. This is the World Cricket Show. <laughs> Wouldn't really fit with the theme music, though, would it? Right. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show my name is adam bayfield and i take full responsibility for everything that follows tonight and the young kid opposite me who merely finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time is tony kerr hey how you doing this week tone yeah very good you ready for this you pumped up and ready to go yeah bit of cricket to talk about tonight isn't there we're gonna do this podcast the right way though in the spirit of podcasting right yeah we're not gonna go overboard we've uh, been chatting with our leadership group and they've given us some pretty clear instructions, so we'll see if we can follow them through. Have we got our head of integrity present? Yeah, we need one. If we had a lead, we, you hope we'd both be in the leadership group. If, the, if, if we're not, if there is a leadership group and we're not part of it, something's gone horribly wrong with I'd, this podcast. Yeah, I'd be very disappointed to not be part of a leadership group for a project that involves two people. We'd be like the sort of well, we'll come on to it. We'll we'll make all kinds of satirical <laughs> jokes. I'm sure. Anyway, carry on with your intro. <laughs> well. well my intro, it just says here, satirical jokes. So oh, Tick that box. We have ticked that box. I mean, should we just get straight into it? Yeah, we, I think so. We've got loads of cricket. We're on a to, tight schedule. We are on a tight schedule just because we've got so much to discuss because uh, we'll be talking about England's defeat in New Zealand. Uh, we'll be talking about the World Cup qualifier in Zimbabwe. Uh, but let's start, of course, in South Africa, where one of the biggest cricketing stories for a very long time has blown up over the last few days. Ball tampering. That's what it's all about, isn't it? I'm sure people don't really need me to go through this story, but I am aware that there are that this is actually true. I'm aware that there are some people listening who listen to the World Cricket Show who don't get their cricket news from <laughs> anywhere else. So uh we'll just go I'll just round it up quickly. Yeah, just run through it. Um during Australia's test match against South Africa in Cape Town, television cameras got some footage of uh Cam Bancroft working on the cricket ball. Uh, with what appeared to be something in his hand, uh, when it became clear, you know, once it had been picked up on TV, and Darren Lehman, the coach, saw it on the screen in the dressing room, uh, a message went out. The cameras again picked up Bancroft dropping whatever it was he had down his trousers. The umpires uh, asked him what was going on. He claimed it was just his sunglasses case that he'd had in his hand. Uh, but then, yeah, in, there was a press conference at the end of the day where Steve Smith uh, sat with Cam Bancroft, and they admitted that they had been trying to change the condition of the ball and it was a plant that they'd cooked up uh, that, that Smith and the rest of the leadership group had cooked up with Bancroft uh, and basically said, yeah, we did it. wasn't in the spirit of the game. There you go. Let's all move on. Yeah, well, that is what they said, wasn't it? Yeah, we'll learn from it and we'll move on. So in terms of uh, the 
ramifications of that. Uh, the ICC have handed Steve Smith a one-match ban and uh, fined him 100% of his match fee. Cam Bancroft, no ban, but 75% of his match fee. Uh, but Cricket Australia have just... You're going to tell me all about this press conference then because I haven't seen it yet, but literally as we went to air, uh, James Sutherland was was giving a, a press conference and they've been sent home, haven't they? Is it Smith, Warner and Bancroft have all been sent home? Uh, yeah, We'd, our budget didn't quite stretch to sending us to Johannesburg in time for that press conference. So uh, unfortunately, can't bring you the uh, the first hand. The inside uh, scoop. Yeah, exactly. The first hand account of what went down. But uh, but yeah, that, that's basically it. They've been sent home. Uh, Darren Lehman has kept his job. He's uh, not going anywhere. And, and James Sutherland said, I mean, this is all going to be out of date because there's going to be another announcement tomorrow. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Sutherland said that that, that uh, Liam would see out his contract, basically promise of uh, an announcement of sanctions tomorrow. So uh, you can edit in well, or not, whichever you decide what the sanctions were. But yeah, he, he, was, he, he was pretty stony faced, as we said. And uh, and yeah, said that there would be significant sanctions levied. So uh, yeah, we, we'll wait to see what that is. But you know, all, all, you know, talk of sort of one year bans. And just in terms of a story, like that's obviously the uh, those are the punishments that have been handed down. But it, it's been an extraordinarily big story. Like I say, it really has blown up. It was the top story on BBC News the other day. And like I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but I've had like loads of people asking me about it. Like people at work. People who have absolutely no interest in cricket whatsoever are aware of this story, following this story, asking about this story. I had to explain to someone what reverse swing was, which was complicated. So yeah, it's been huge. So I'm not sure where to start with this, really, Tone. We're going to try and make some sense of it tonight. But can you just give me an initial sense of what your hot take is uh, on this whole thing? What were your thoughts when you when you first saw... Well, when you first saw the footage and when you first saw the press conference and your your first thoughts on everything. This is like a sort of like 50 years later, we're looking back on it already. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... It <coughs> does feel like, yeah. A lot, yeah, a lot's happened. It's I mean, been a long yeah. few days. As you say, yeah, I mean, I can't remember a bigger cricket story, news story. I suppose the Stokes thing was, was pretty big, wasn't it? But this is obviously this is slightly different. You know, it has been huge. And obviously, you know, you got a sense of that from just hearing, you know, I hadn't seen the uh, the footage when I heard about what had happened, but you sort of obviously immediately got a sense that this was going to be a, a massive story. Then I think the thing that really struck home was, was that first press conference with Smith and Bancroft, just the way they talked about what happened. And obviously it's a very, the ball tampering is such a specific thing to cricket isn't it oh well i suppose there are, there are you know there might be some sort of similar thing in baseball but in in, in cricket it's it's such a sacred thing the ball and and tampering with it is such a specific no-no and obviously there's there's been a, a catalogue of these kind of things over the years but this is definitely the most kind of blatant and just stupid one i've seen for a while and the fact that it involves the current best test batsman in the world uh, and and someone as divisive as well as as David Warner, yeah, it's got all the ingredients. Do you mean stupid because you sort of think, well, how did they think they were going to get away with it? Exactly, yeah. And then mm. and just you know the whole the just the goofiness of it of him sort of show, you know saying like oh, you know we we found out that the cameras had picked something up, so I shoved it down my trousers. It's like it's slapstick, 
uh, nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, okay, if you want my sort of hot take on... Well, I mean, there's so many hot takes, aren't there, you could have. I mean, do you want the hot take on what it means or the hot take on on uh, on why it's been so interesting to people? Well, you, you've got that little notebook there that says hot takes on the front, yeah, Tony's hot takes. Through. So I'm interested in all of them, to be honest. I mean, I, I think it's got, it's, it, the, the reaction as a whole has been quite interesting and the amount of interest it's generated. You know, I've seen a couple of articles today. The uh, Guardian's Barney Rone was saying, well, if, if one thing, at least it shows that people still care about cricket, which I, 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 I don't know. I, I could take the point, but I, I'm not sure that's the sort of how relevant that is yeah. at the moment. Because, like, you know, a lot of people cared about you know bradley wiggins and, and doping uh, and team sky but how many people actually watch cycling day-to-day in the country you know dan rowan's very interested mm. in it but people like scandal exactly they? yeah, yeah. It, it's more that yeah exactly that uh you know i think possibly at this stage obviously the thing's really built over the last few days but maybe going slightly over the top now the the sort of level of scrutiny about it i mean I, yeah i can see why but well, so that's my question. So when we, when we very briefly talked about this the other day, we do we, we we do our best not to talk about cricket um, away from the podcast, so we don't you know use up all all the gold uh, not on air. But uh, we did very briefly talk about it the other day, and I got the sense that we were going to disagree somewhat about it because you did seem quite upset. Well, upset's probably the wrong word. You did seem like, tears. <laughs> you did seem like you were sharing the outrage very much yeah somewhat somewhat uh and you know i understand from the australian side of things you know the reaction has has very much been yeah outrage disgust shame you know the prime minister of australia has been uh, out and about every day (laughs) since it happened saying something to that effect uh you know obviously their media yeah the ex-players the ex-australian players who've sort of come out and said that you know this australian team and and particularly the the guys involved at the top you know have sort of trashed the the reputation of of the baggy green in australia and then from you know from a british or from an english side you can kind of see why the you know why english cricket fans would be so ready to to get on board with this you know for obvious reasons so you know i I don't i'm not saying that's invalid but in you know in the grand scheme of things it wasn't like an outrageous match fix but still, yeah, but still obviously, you know, way outside of what you'd expect, the behaviour you'd expect. Yeah, okay, so it sounds like we're maybe not going to disagree as much as I thought. Like, cause, so I've got a lot to say about this, and it's been a job to kind of, you know, to try and sort out uh, my feelings, because it's, it is a bit of a muddle, and I think, I think a lot of different things at the same time. But on the one hand, I totally understand where this extreme reaction of anger and disgust particularly in australia is coming from i completely get it because what they did was cheating and it's not just cheating it's incredibly brazen cheating and that's it was the press conference really was the thing like if if smith and bancroft had gone to ground and said nothing about it we probably wouldn't be talking about it or would it, it would have been we'd have come onto it probably 40 minutes through the show tonight we'd be talking about 58 all out right now but the press conference was jaw-dropping, really, wasn't it? And it was the fact that they were just so openly like, yeah, you know, we thought we could get an advantage, so we decided to do it. They made a collective decision to cheat. They knew what they were doing, and they didn't appear to show all that much remorse about it. I mean, there was you know, there was sort of a, a surface level of remorse, but it, you know, in what Steve Smith was saying, it did seem very much like 
they were mainly upset because they'd got caught. I think they thought that if they just like fronted up, people would respect them for it and and be much more willing to forgive. And this is a thing that I think you see in sort of wider life quite a lot now as well, where, you know, if people make some catastrophic mistake, they just go, well, you know, I take full responsibility. I'll hold my hands up. And I think people think if they just own up to it, that that's all they really need to do or like people will move on. Like you can see where that's coming from. In a sense, it's like refreshing or you totally, it is the right thing to do to own up to a mistake. But in this case, I think it's made the situation much worse because it's had the opposite effect where they've been so transparent about what they were doing. People have seen how it, that they came to a decision to do it. You know, instead of getting more respect, people have lost a lot of respect for them. And it particularly doesn't work when you say things so kind of half-hearted as Smith said, and also when you say things like, well, we'll just, you know, we'll learn from it and we'll move on. Well, you don't get to decide when we move on. So yeah, Smith came out of that press conference a a seriously diminished figure, didn't he? And it it seemed like he didn't really understand the implications of what he was saying or the gravity of what he was saying. And there was lots of things about about it that were pathetic, really, like the fact that he got Bancroft to take the first question. on, On the one hand, it sort of seemed like Smith was as I say, was fronting up and, and facing the music, but then he got Bancroft to take the first question. And like, what was, if it was the case that Smith had cooked up this plan with the leadership group, why, why, what were they doing getting Bancroft to do the dirty work for them? I mean, so, you know, you, you lost a lot of respect for him in, in various different ways. And I thought Michael Vaughan made a good point. I mean, Vaughan said a lot of things about this, but he did one, one good point that he made uh, on, on Tough as and Vaughan yesterday was saying Smith was sort of paying lip service to apologising or he was apologising to like the Australian public and, and the cricketing public more widely. But he, there's no apology in there to South Africa, like to the South African team. You know, you'd think that would be the first thing they would do. Is he, he didn't, it was almost like they didn't understand that they weren't just sort of cheating the Australian public or breaking the, you know, or, or trespassing on the spirit of the game. They were actually cheating their opponents. So, sorry, I've spoken quite a lot here, so do jump in. No, I'm when just you letting to. you keep going. <laughs> yeah. Just checking my emails now. <laughs> <laughs> One of the quotes from Smith was, that's not the kind of cricket we want to play. You know, yeah, we did it. It's against the spirit of the game. It's not the kind of cricket we want to play. Well, don't f-ing do it then, Steve. <laughs> like, it's really, it's not hard. If that's not the kind of cricket you want to play, don't do it. And there was another weird quote uh, from Bancroft, which I've alluded to already, where he said, yeah, I just sort of found myself in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah, I think there may be a bit more to it yeah. than that. So yes, for all those different reasons, it was a it's an outrageous thing to do and I totally understand why there's been there's been anger about it. But at the same time, I do think there's been something of an overreaction. Um you know, that as you say it's become this kind of national crisis in Australia with the prime minister getting involved and he beggars belief. Uh, that they would do this, which... I knew that was coming. It, it sort of does, but yeah, and they can p- people in Australia can react however they want. They're entitled to react however they want, and it's probably good that they're overreacting in this way rather than, you know, underreacting, I suppose, to, to cheating. Um, it's good that people are so passionately anti-cheating in Australia, and clearly this sets a terrible example, not just in cricket, uh, but in all walks of life. But I just think the scale of the outrage is pretty disproportionate you know people out there calling for lifetime bans people equating it with match fixing with spot fixing with doping it is it's just it's not in the same ballpark as those things 
other cricketers have done this, not least Fafdi Plessis, the opposition captain, who was found guilty of it a year ago and previously in 2013 as well when he was rubbing the ball on his zip. Mike Atherton in 1994, various Pakistan players over the years. You know, there's there's lots of examples. They're, these are They're not the first cricketers to do this. All right, yeah, it was with possibly a bit of sandpaper or something, which is more than just rubbing it on the zip. But, you know, they're not breaking new ground here. You know, using whatever resource, natural resource you can, that you, you know, that you have available to you is just... That's part of the game, isn't it? To, to, to get as much out of the ball as possible. I mean, some people have, you know, have already said, well, shouldn't you just let any kind of tampering go on, you know, legalise ball tampering, which it, it's just a sort of nonsense to me because then you may as well just start with a, you know, you kind of, people take you on, you know, blocks of like pumice stone or something right, to rub the yeah. ball. You, you may as well just start with a half and half like tape ball, tape tennis ball. But, you know, for as long as cricket has been going on, I presume, I don't know who, who first came up with the idea of, you know, polishing one side of the ball. I thought you were going to say of cricket. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> It's going to be a long podcast yeah. if we're getting into that. But, you know, that, that, that's part of the game is, is, is trying to make the ball work in your favour. Now, obviously taking or using something, a foreign object, uh, yeah, it probably takes things a little bit too far and, and is rightly outlawed and, uh, you know, rightly anyone doing that should receive some sort of punishment yeah i think but but i agree with you that in, in, to a certain extent the reaction has, has been now blown out of proportion somewhat uh, i mean i suppose the fact though that it's that it's the captain you know it, that, that doesn't look good and as you said before though the, the way it came out the the admission in the press conference uh you know, I think that's that's had a real key part to play in it because it's kind of it's it sort of undermined the whole concept of the Australian dressing room. I don't know, like, and and the the leadership of Smith, uh, the leadership of the coach, uh, and you know, and as many people have said, on top of a lot of different incidents uh, and behaviours over the last couple of years, you know, people have been quite ready to to sit the boot in. I think. Yeah, it's the fact that they were sort of they obviously had this very calm discussion. You know, sort of cold-blooded discussion about the fact that they were going to cheat you know shall we cheat yeah let's cheat I mean that's what that's what's been so astounding isn't it but I don't know though because I, I people are kidding themselves if they think that in previous cases something similar didn't happen I, I think the only difference here really is that they've admitted it which as I say I think they thought would get them off the hook in a sense but has actually made things much worse but it's not like you know, I've seen people compare it to diving in football, which I don't think it is directly comparable because, yeah, okay, some players do, I suppose some players do think to themselves, if I, as soon as I get an opportunity, I'm going to go down in the box or whatever. But you need that opportunity to arise, don't you? It's it it's going to be a heat of the moment decision to go down or not to go down. Whereas this was like, yeah, we're going to take a, an object out onto the pitch with us. It's not, it's not quite the same in terms of the decision-making process. But, is anything different there when it comes to Fafdi Plessis rubbing the ball on his zip? I mean, he's he's still making that decision to do it, isn't he? And I, I don't think you can compare that to diving either. I think he's he's sort of quite rationally deciding that this is what he's going to do to get an advantage. And no one really cares about the fact that Fafdi Plessis did that in 2013. I agree with you, though, that taking a foreign object out onto the pitch with you is a step further. And uh, yeah, there's another weird quote that 
Bancroft had in the press conference where he said, you know, well, I just saw an opportunity to uh, use a bit of type to, it's like, what do you mean you saw an opportunity? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, and there was an opportunity there for me to go to the dressing room and dig around to find some tape. Like, well, what? I mean, like, yeah, I, players do have, have their hands taped up, don't they? So I suppose. maybe they thought they would get away with it, you know, on that basis, that the tape isn't, isn't the most foreign object that you might find on a cricket field, but it's still... It wasn't attached to his hand. Mm. It was, uh, yeah, and also I, th- I think to be fair to Bancroft, you know, people do say things when they're you know, <laughs> under pressure like that. When he must have been panicking, uh, we should probably cut him a little bit of slack in terms of what he's saying. As we know, Tone, if you, someone puts a microphone in front of you, you just start talking. They just blurt stuff out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's certainly one thing that's something you know, common strand of the the discussion. Certainly, in the last twenty four hours has been David Warner and his. Uh, uh, his role in it and also just it, his standing in the Australian dressing room you know supposedly he's he's a sort of pariah and he's been completely shut out of the group he's left the whatsapp group yeah. of his own accord and, and kind of and now yeah. he's keeping himself away from everyone else David Warner has left the conversation yeah exactly uh, so you know that I mean that, that's interesting I've seen a lot of people talking about about Warner and uh, kind of the, the kind of person he's been and well there seems uh, to be a narrative has emerged today we're recording this on tuesday that it was actually warner who was the the architect of the plan it was basically warner and bancroft who came up with the idea between them or warner came up with the idea and he enlisted bancroft and smith if he knew about it it wasn't his idea but smith in that press conference was basically trying to protect warner by saying yeah i knew about it and it was the leadership group because there's a lot of stories coming out that you know because people said oh who's the leadership group and and supposedly it's lyon and stark and hazelwood and they're apparently furious and, you know, feel that they're being thrown under the bus. Um, so, yes, people now saying that it really was Warner who was at the heart of the whole thing. But just to come back to why I think the reaction is quite out of proportion at this point, because um, I'm not sure I quite explain why. Like, the fact that people have done it in the past isn't enough in itself to be like, well, well that's fine. Then. I mean, it's not fine, but, you know, it's it's not an excuse, the fact that people have done it in the past. But you, you you're saying about you know, you've seen people say, well, ball tampering should be legalised and, well, you may as well then take a pumice stone out on the field. I totally get what you're saying. And it is a very, that's a very difficult thing. Like, you can't just legalise ball tampering because, yeah, then people will be taking out, like, pen knives and drills and yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. And and the, 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 you know, the end game of ball tampering is to create a ball with a smooth side and a rough side. So you may as well just start with that because that's what, you know, people are just going to be between every ball rubbing the ball on the ground. I don't know, there's no... Yeah, but this is the point because between every ball, you know, in in cricket as it currently exists, between every ball, the players are ball tampering. They're shining the ball on their trousers, the old spit and polish. Like, what is that if not ball tampering? It's just because it's happened forever, it's sanctioned and it's it's part of the game, isn't it? It's a very, very early memory of playing cricket for the first time was being taught how to shine the cricket ball. It's like a a tradition almost within cricket but it is ball tampering it's nothing else but ball tampering it's changing the condition of the ball to produce a better outcome for the bowlers and if that is you know not only fine but positively encouraged i don't really get why doing similar things to try and rough up the ball is so heinous like i agree that it's very difficult to draw the line but this is why i don't think you can possibly equate this to match fixing or doping because while it's cheating, the actual act itself is not some kind of moral scandal. 
you know, it's cheating because they're gaining an advantage, but it's not like match fixing, which is, you know, is like immoral. This is a very difficult area in cricket. And I think although you can't legalise ball tampering, I think there's a case to allow a lot more of that kind of thing than is currently allowed. A, as I say, uh, the spit and polish is perfectly acceptable. And B, what they're trying to do is get the ball to reverse swing. And reverse swing is great. Cricket is much better when the ball reverse swings. Some of the most memorable moments in in test cricket over the last 20, 25 years are when the ball's reverse swinging around. You know, the Pakistan bowlers in the 90s, Wakar and Wasim, getting the ball to reverse swing. Like, that's phenomenal to watch. England in 2005 won the Ashes with the reverse swing. And we, we loved that. So if we were to say, let's make it so that it's easier for bowlers to get reverse swing, would that make cricket better or worse? I think there's a pretty obvious answer to that. So while... Yes, you like so in this particular case when they're rubbing it with sandpaper or whatever, that can't be allowed because where do you draw the line? But I think there is a case to have a lot more of it and therefore what they're doing is not the same as being paid off by a bookmaker to throw the game, basically. It's Yeah. No, no, I, th- I think that's a really interesting perspective. I mean, I guess it depends whether you, you see the the polishing of the ball as as, you know, preserving you know that the the sort of the the legal aspect is preserving the condition of the ball to the best of your ability whilst the other half or whilst the other side uh degrades mm-hmm. or is the work you're doing to the, the the shiny side of the ball as much of a sort of positive impact or, or as, having as much impact on the ball itself as degrading the side yeah. manually is it, that you're trying to rough up is do it you know what i mean making it unnaturally exactly shiny uh, well it is isn't it Certainly, when it's very new, as the well, as it, it starts very shiny, doesn't it? So really, you're 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 allowed to preserve one side mm-hmm. as the other side. Now, I guess you know if, if you did have some sort of legal ball tampering, it would it would you know you well, as you say there is ball, ball tampering as it is. But if you were to legalize or you were to extend the possibilities of ball tampering, it, it would open up this sort of dark art. You, teams would be trying to find ways to do it to their their own, you know with the balls they're bowling. Uh, to get an advantage that other teams perhaps don't have. So I, I don't know, it, it, it's a difficult one. I don't think, you know, your reverse swing utopia is ever going to be, uh, is ever going to come into to being. But Well, that may well be so, but, and, and, you know, and it's it also isn't, it's not like Australia were doing this because they just wanted the fans to have better cricket to watch. <laughs> you know, they were doing it to win the game. But all, all I mean is like, so, and, and I'm aware that people will be, you know, screaming on the bus listening to this or, you know, composing tweets at me at the moment. I'm not saying, I'm not condoning it and I'm not saying that because they're just trying to get reverse swing that that somehow makes it fine. The fact is that at the moment it is illegal. So if one team does it and the other doesn't, then the team that does it is going to have an advantage that the other team who's playing by the rules doesn't. So it's it's not fair. Like if, if you think that ball tampering should be allowed, then you need to make that case. You shouldn't just do it as I say, I as I explained at length, like I think this is outrageous what they did. It's really pissed me off actually, like that that cricket is in the news because of this. Um, and as I say, loads of people at work are asking me about, oh, you know, the, the cricketers who are cheating. Like it's it's very annoying, and and it's annoyed me a lot as a neutral fan. And like if this had been a if this had happened in a Test match against England, you know, with the Ashes on the line, I'd be I'd be spitting. I'd probably be on a on a plane out there so I could give Steve Smith a piece of my mind. So I and I really hate cheating. Like I, if I come up against cheating in a sport that I'm playing, like we, you, I think you were there too. When I got really annoyed when we were playing football the other day, 
uh, by someone where I was trying to go past them down the wing and I kicked it onto their knee and it went out for a throw-in and the referee gave the throw-in to the other team. And the guy that I'd kicked it against just went to get the ball and take the throw-in. And I was like, you know that that hit you. Like, not even, like, brushed you. It just bounced off your knee and went out for a throw. And he was like, play to the whistle, mate. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. That, like, even something like that, which a lot of people would say, well, you should play to the whistle, that really, really pisses me off. So I hate cheating and I hate what they've done here. But my only point is that the thing itself that they were doing is not some great moral disgrace. As I say, it's not equivalent to match fixing. It's not equivalent to doping. And I just think people are maybe getting a bit too carried away. Firstly, because, you know, for English pundits and fans, it's fun to pile in on the Australians. There there is definitely an element of glee in some of the reaction to it in England. And for everyone around the world and for the Australians themselves, a lot of people really don't like Steve Smith and David Warner and with justification to a large extent. But we're supposed to believe in equality before the law. And I don't know if it was Faf du Plessis again. I don't think people would be going in on him in the same way. Yeah, uh, no, exactly. The, the people involved and their recent history has obviously got a big part to do with with why it's it's blown up in the way it has. I mean, it, you know, and, and the fact that Smith has been so dominant in in recent times. Yeah, I mean, who knows kind of where or what, how we'll look back on it in a, in a few years. I mean, you've got to think Steve Smith can can come back from this. But I mean, Bancroft hasn't. I don't know. He's in a difficult situation because we haven't scored any runs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's he's not. He's like yeah. Exactly, he's he's not got made any mark in in a short career, but yeah. As for Warner, that just the the groundswell of of opinion against him would suggest that that probably he will be uh, sort of I don't know if not already has has been hung up to dry mm-hmm. on this one. Well, I've seen people saying that oh, you know, Steve Smith will never live this down, and like whatever else he achieves in his career, there'll always be this asterisk against him. I mean, I think it'll always be part of the story, but I. Yeah, exactly. That's, an over, that's, a, yeah. that's over-egging the, the bacon or whatever the expression is. Yeah. Well, it's uh, like Atherton with the soil in yeah. the pocket. Like, yeah, people do bring it up occasionally. It's not been totally forgotten, but it's not the first thing you think of when you think of Michael Atherton, is it? And Steve Smith's going to end up with a batting average about 30 runs higher than Michael Atherton. So does this cast a cloud over the ashes, do you think, saying? You know, do, does it make you suspect that they might have done it on other occasions, including in, in the Ashes series? A few people, again, Michael Vaughan has been saying a lot. Yeah. I and think he's... Broad, yeah, Broad said similar or maybe didn't go quite that far. Yeah, but he kind certainly... of alluded to yeah. it, didn't he? Uh, I mean, I kind of, I, I wouldn't like to say definitely. Obviously, I can't, couldn't say definitely. Uh, you know, I don't doubt it either. I mean, it, it's entirely possible. You know, certainly them them sort of saying that they'd spotted this opportunity then and there, and it just so happened that that, that was the time they deployed it. Uh, I mean, it, it, there is there is a sense of a you know, and a lot of people are saying it of a, a cover up. I don't know. There's a lot of conspiracy theories, but you know, the, the, certainly the way it's been handled, the fact that Lehman's been just you know exonerated so far, won't resign, hasn't been sacked. You know, I think he should probably have resigned if i was him i'd have resigned because I, I don't think you can kind of oversee that and all the other stuff that's gone on uh with the team you know lots of observers of crying out for this to be a you know a line in the sand and that that the australian team culture needs to change and you know and he's been obviously well, he's at the focal point of that so 
uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't gone, as, as most people are, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, as you say, it's the fact that it came after a week in which people were questioning his position anyway because of things that he was saying, you know, or the, the seeming hypocrisy with which he was saying uh, crowds shouldn't shouldn't abuse um, Australian players and you know, obviously people pointing out that he'd encourage Australian fans to send Stuart Broadhame in tears and that kind of thing. And the more general thing, as I say, people don't like this Australian team for lots of very good reasons. And Lehman's overseen that or even fostered that culture, hasn't he? So yeah, there's, there's, there's other reasons why he should stand down as well. And I agree if he's overseen this or at the very least, you know, he's, he was either negligent or a part of it, but you know, I, although I'm not quite convinced by the people saying, well, he must have known, like there's no way he couldn't have known. I mean, it's perfectly plausible to me that he didn't know if indeed it was like Warner's idea and he spoke to Bancroft and then Smith kind of found out on the field of play, which seems to be kind of where it's going. And yes, there was the shot of Lehman uh, on the walkie-talkie to Peter Hanscom, the 12th man, and him going, and people said, well, he clearly knew because he's on the walkie-talkie, but he may well have just seen it on the TV and gone, bloody hell, what are they doing? Yeah. So that that's really well, plausible exactly. to yeah. me. So he may well not have known, but nonetheless, he should probably step down for all those other reasons and because the fact that this Australian team is so disliked. And ultimately, you know, the buck's st- got to stop somewhere, doesn't it? And if the captain and vice-captain are sent home in disgrace, it doesn't reflect that well on the coach, does it? Well, exactly. I was watching the, uh, was watching the, the press conference on Sky Sports News earlier on this evening and there, there was a little wait it was supposed to start at six i think it didn't get underway until about 20 past in the end so there was a, a long period of discussion uh they had uh, bob willis in the in the studio jim white was the presenter and if you've never watched sky sports news if you're not from uh from the uk uh jim white is a scottish tv presenter uh infamous in sporting circles for his presentation of deadline day the uh, football transfer uh, deadline day uh, coverage on Sky Sports News and it, and it sort of, you know, the way he sort of hams it all up and sometimes, you know, conjures something out of utter nothingness mm-hmm. uh, on deadline day. But it, it was just, it was funny that when they were talking about the, the potential s- the sanctions and, you know, obviously Bob Willis doesn't mince his words, but <laughs> I don't think Jim White was getting overexcited. Just some of the, some of the language used, he was, you know, saying, should, saying to Bob Willis, should, uh, should uh, Lehman swing for it? Which I thought was somewhat harsh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Can you see what I mean? I think there's been a little bit of an overreaction. Yeah. Yeah. To the chair. <laughs> for, for, for the three of them. The four of them. Uh, oh, the, the other thing that just, yeah, yeah the other thing on. to mention, just, just the, the stark contrast between the press conference with, with Bancroft and Smith, you know, this time around, and the one during the Ashes when they were, you know, in hysterics about the, uh, the, the Bearstow non-event headbutt, uh, which at the time, I, I can't remember who it was, but someone described it as, you know, that, that press conference will sort of, will haunt England for you know, generations to come. And it, yeah, just, you know, as, as many other people have pointed out, you know, just how quickly that, that was the first thing I, I thought about when I saw the, the, the most recent press conference was just how quickly things have, have turned around for those two. Yeah, it's, I mean, at the time, you know, we we were slightly ruffled by that because it was obviously such a stupid story out of nothing, uh, and the way that the Australian team played on it was slightly irritating. Well, it's one of the many reasons why people don't like this Australian team and and don't like Steve Smith in particular. Like, he was very keen 
seemingly, to make something out of that, as he has been with the Kikiza Rabada stuff in this series. I mean, Rabada's not blameless in that affair, but Smith was seemingly really trying to get him banned. And, and same with Bairstow, like really trying to create a controversy where it doesn't seem like there should have been one. Smith has been simultaneously trying to set himself up as a kind of moral guardian of the game and going out of his way to try and get other cricketers in trouble. So, yes, you can understand why there's quite a lot of schadenfreude about this and why people are so happy, you know, or not not reluctant uh, to get stuck into him. And, yeah, people don't like Warner either for, for lots of good reasons. So I do totally understand it. But as I say, if... Uh, the South Africans had been caught out doing this or if the Sri Lankans had been caught out doing this, I, I don't think... I mean, people would say, well, they wouldn't do it, which maybe they wouldn't, but you know what I mean? Like, it just wouldn't... I don't think the 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 scale of the hysteria would be quite the same. There was some poetic justice the next day with Australia losing the Test match in pretty spectacular fashion, uh, crumbling in a heap uh, in what was a pretty spellbinding session of cricket. Mornay Morkel with a fiver and they were bowled out uh, for, well, just over 100, wasn't it? They they lost their all 10 wickets for 50. Uh, so South Africa won that game by 322 runs to take a 2-1 lead in the series. So it's going to be quite a tasty game, this fourth and final test, isn't it? Fair to say. Mm. You know, the atmosphere when uh, the Australians went out to bat uh, you know, in their, their final innings in that test was pretty extraordinary. I mean kind of what those guys must have gone been sort of thinking or uh yeah i mean it, you haven't seen scenes like that in a, in a cricket match for ever i don't think and this is one of the weird things about it isn't it because it's like everyone including the two of us are like so angry about it and like i said i'm angry that i'm that we're having to talk about it to people who don't really care about cricket but at the same time it's like must watch well that's it that's now. the flip side isn't it yeah, yeah it's uh yeah, it's, it's, they're going to be doing good business in that final. Yeah. So everyone's going to be watching it. Like people do like to talk about this kind of thing. It does make it is it is interesting and exciting, isn't it? And I think I text you that I can't stop reading about it. I just I'm obsessed with reading articles and tweets about it. And I wasn't, as I, we said on the last show, although I'd watched some highlights of the first two tests, I wasn't really that invested in this South Africa Australia series. A bit of fatigue post Ashes and stuff. Whereas suddenly now. I'm really into it. And so, you know, maybe that's why Smith and Bancroft decided to do it. Like, just really... Just get you going. Yeah. Get some eyeballs on, uh, on, the, on the game. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast well leaving the ball tampering stuff behind there's been a, another test match taking place in the southern hemisphere tone england were involved uh playing new zealand in auckland i don't want to spend too long on this and not just because of the result but uh, because we've got a lot to get through tonight 
So Kane Williamson won the toss and chose to bowl. And at the time, that seemed like quite a big call. But you'd have to say it paid off as uh, England were bowled out for 58 on the first afternoon. Only two bowlers used by New Zealand. Trent Bolt took six wickets. Tim Southey, four wickets. Uh, And actually, it could have been a lot worse for England. At one stage, it looked like they might be heading for a a world record low score. Uh, And when they were 27 for nine, it was looking like they might be heading for an England record low score. Uh, but 33 not out from Craig Overton, you know, really put a score on the board uh, <laughs> with 58. Obviously, that was game over. Or so we thought, but then there was so much rain in Auckland, virtually two days lost to rain, that actually England did have a chance of saving the game because New Zealand was still batting deep into the fourth day. They eventually declared on 427 for eight hundreds for Kane Williamson and Henry Nichols, not out on 145. Uh, so England had, what, about four sessions to survive. They were going okay, half centuries from Mark Stoneman and Joe Root, but it, Joe Root was out to the last ball of day four, Trent Bolt, with a brutal bouncer. Uh, and yeah, so they, they were three down. It seemed unlikely that they'd bat out the final day, and indeed they didn't. Uh, they were all out for 320, uh, with three wickets for Bolt, three wickets for Todd Astle, and three wickets for a very fired-up Neil Wagner uh, as New Zealand sealed the win by an innings and 49 runs. So, what did you make of this then, Tane? Uh, we made some some fairly cautious and to some extent negative noises about England's prospects on our preview show, uh, but you still had England down to win the series. It's not going swimmingly for that prediction so far, is it? And it's not going swimmingly for England. Yeah, that collapse no. on the first day, 58 all out, collapsing like Facebook's share price. Do you like that? There's Solid. Some, some topical humour there for you. You never lose it. Snap might have been a better one. Snapchat. Are there, is that that's going as share well. price collapse? That's, that's plunging. Yeah. Did I? What did I have? England as one nil. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I had one all, which is still on. Yeah. I thought when the rain came, I thought you know might be back England for a big turnaround in the second test. I mean, it doesn't look good, does it? I think I've defended England uh, quite a lot over the last twelve to eighteen months. Uh, 12 to 79 months now you know I'm not a flip-flopper I'm not going to just launch in full uh, full with a full-blooded assault but uh, you know it, it doesn't look good you know the, the people a lot of people were doubting the the point of the series as a whole now you, you sort of you do you did want England to By finish this guy yeah, exactly you did want England to finish the tour I mean I've still got one more game to go but to, to finish strongly and, and yeah a pretty astonishing pretty astonishing way to go in that first test yeah I think yeah you're now looking at significant changes for the summer it really was dreadful batting on that first day wasn't it I mean it was magnificent bowling from Bolt but some some really desperate batsmanship as well Bairstow getting caught and bowled Moeen missing a full toss I mean it it was it was not great viewing really I mean were they undercooked was that the problem like that you know only what two you know pretty pointless warm-up games that were what like 14 15 aside you know mess around yeah basically. mucking yeah. about is that is that the problem <laughs> i think they're probably a, a yeah decent chunk of the problem uh you know obviously england didn't have a good go of it in the ashes uh since then you've you've had odis t20s players have come and gone and you know it, it does rather undermine the whole exercise if you if you don't give give them proper preparation uh you know, there was a, a slight improvement, wasn't there, in the in the second innings? Root 
you might think if we had got through the day that, that maybe England could have made a better fist of it on the uh, you know on the final day but you know another slightly disappointing end for him yeah Moeen Ali's possibly now looking looking uh, like he's not going to enjoy his flight back because uh, yeah he may be back to back to county cricket yeah, well, this is the thing. So as you say, you, you've got to think now that it's going to force some changes. So in a weird way, I'm actually quite pleased that it happened. Like, I mean, 58 all out is an unmitigated disaster. And as you say, only saved by a bit of hitting yeah. from Overton. I mean, it, it could have been much worse. It really could. And then, yeah. you know, the heat has been slightly taken off England with uh with what's happened with with australia so oh, it's been massively taken yeah. off like no one's well, talking, no one's about, talking it. about it yeah um, but but it's such a disaster that i don't think there's any hiding from it there's no thought of taking the positives so it, it might be as you say the thing that finally forces changes that finally forces a bit of a shake-up of this team and of the thinking about england's test cricket more generally like the batting has been terrible for quite some time not just in the ashes but for a number of years there have been big problems in the batting. Going back to certainly the Ashes in 2015, you know, Gary Balance was missing full tosses and England were constantly 20 for three. I mean, it, it's at least that long, if not longer. Now, this is quite a strong word, but it's embarrassing that Moeen Ali is still in the team. Like, after the Ashes that he had to just rock up in Auckland and pick him again, no questions asked, is a scandal. And I know that I'm not Moeen's biggest fan, so I would say that, but... It's extraordinary, really. He's averaging like 120 with the ball this winter. He should not be in the team. Doesn't mean that he can never come back, but you can't keep picking him. And I do just think this might be the thing that makes the difference. So I'm, yeah, I'm, in a, I'm uh, counterintuitively quite pleased that this has happened. Like, as I say, coming out of the ashes, our big worry, even more than the poor performance, was that England didn't appear to appreciate just how poor a performance it was. We we felt that they were deluded and they're still deluded, or at least before this game, they were still deluded. So after this, surely they can't go on making the same selections. We're gonna, we're, you know, they've been making very conservative selections, sticking with people like Moeen, as I say, and, and in this game, choosing Craig Overton over Mark Wood. You know, it's, it's just time to be brave, isn't it? It's time to be much braver. They've got to pick Jack Leach. They've got to pick Mark Wood. I know people are saying, you know, Wood's just not fit enough to play test cricket. You know, he can get through 10 overs in an ODI, but can he get through 15 a day in a test match? Well, that might be true, but what's he doing in the squad then? Like, he's either fit enough or isn't. If they don't think he's fit enough to to play test cricket, he shouldn't be in the test squad. But if they've taken him to New Zealand to play test matches, play him in a test match. I'm really pleased for New Zealand, though. I'm not sure they were given enough respect coming into this series, possibly because... By Ma- us. Oh, by us, I think they were. But I mean, sort of generally, Michael Vaughan, I'm really talking about. <laughs> no, I'm not really talking about Michael Vaughan. Really got it in for Vaughan tonight. <laughs> well, actually, I, I, I did. I listened to Tuffers and Vaughan. I've not got it in for Vaughan here, but I do have it in for Phil Tufnell, although not on this edition of Tuffers and Vaughan, but on the previous one. I think when they were previewing this test series I think Vaughan was saying that Mark Stoneman should be dropped and Tuffner was like oh, that seems a bit harsh you know after the ashes when he's had to you know he's, he's had to stand up against that terrific Australian bowling attack now you're going to take him out and you know he's going to miss out on a few juicy little throwdowns it's like have you not watched New Zealand play cricket before this is what I mean I just I think they were massively underestimated by a lot of people they're a really great side aren't they great side they to are. watch yeah fantastic uh Nothing easy about Bolton Salvi and you know England, 
in that first innings didn't even get past them. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I suppose the whole, you can't really blame, necessarily blame people for underestimating New Zealand. The very fact that it's just the, sort of the after event. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know what New Zealand's record is, was like in England recently i can't remember well it's not outstanding by any means they obviously got a draw there in 2015 but that's the first good result they've had for quite a while but i mean that like this was only the 10th time new zealand have beaten england ever in test cricket which is pretty amazing isn't it pretty amazing that that the number's that small but in the last three or four years they've been one of the best test sides in the world and given england's struggles this winter and going over the last few years away from home, I, I was surprised that people were so confident that England were going to win here. I mean, yes, in a way they should win because they're, you know, they've got far more resources financially and in terms of population and everything else. But just looking at the two teams and their recent form, you know, I, I don't really know why England started as, as big favourites. Yeah. Okay. Well, they didn't though, did they? No, well, they started as favourites. Yeah, I think, I certainly expected it to be more even. I thought, you know, sort of you, you'd have hoped that England, you know, would have gone out with a, a real mentality to put put something right after the Ashes. So, I don't know. There's still one game left. Let's not let's not throw them under the bus just yet. Uh, but I mean, there is a tendency, and I'm guilty of it as well, that you sort of very quickly forget the failings of, of England national teams, cricket, rugby, football, and you sort of on the eve of anything, you kind of resort uh, like resort to sort of the default kind of optimism and and yeah. sort of slight whiff of arrogance about it <laughs> i don't know maybe it's foolish to be hopeful for the second test but but i mean we, we talked about the, the you know the day night element uh you know on that first afternoon england didn't even get to dusk yeah true so yeah. you know you, you can't make an excuse out of that that was no part of it was it and yeah. a, a lot of it was i mean to be fair i'd say it was terrible batting but it was brilliant bowling and, and trent bolt is phenomenal isn't he I, and he's such a like with everything that's gone on this week and we've talked about you know how everybody hates Smith and Warner in the Australian team couldn't be more different like just polar opposite the New Zealand team and Trent Bolt in particular his uh, interview when he got the man of the match award he's just a lovely man he's a lovely lovely man I tweeted something about that and uh, a listener by the name of Martin Partridge responded that in, that in New Zealand his nickname is lovely Trenty which I don't think is true, but I hope it is. <laughs> so he was brilliant. You know, Sal the excellent on the first day as well. And Neil Wagner is really great to watch. As I say, he was fired up. He's uh, you've got to love his passion. And yeah, some great batting too. Henry Nichols and, and another brilliant knock from from Kane Williamson. So they're they're a really excellent team. Using I do feel like maybe people under are underestimating them now because McCullum's not there anymore. And McCullum was very much the face of the team, wasn't he? And and he was such a massive part of the team. He's not there, so maybe people think, you know, well, you know, you cut off the head and the body dies, but the rest of the team is still excellent. And he's been replaced by Williamson as captain, who's also a very good leader. So, you know, I, I just think they're a, a really good test side, and I wouldn't bet a lot of money on England winning this second game in Christchurch. Do you think there's any way back for them? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't. Well, I would agree. I wouldn't put huge amounts of money on it. I mean, I, I still think, well, I agree with you. I take the point that, you know, some fairly wholesale changes are needed. Uh, People, a lot of people are talking about the record that now or that has been extended with this defeat. The, what is it? Eleven losses? No, sorry, twelve matches without a win, isn't it? Away from home. Yeah, away it's from home. Nine defeats in the last ten. Five of them by innings. Yeah, which is not great. No, I will concede that. But 
I mean, it's tough. I think the, the you know going to India, going to Australia, those were tough series. I don't think there's any shame in in being defeated. Although, you know, obviously the scale of the defeats were, were slightly troubling. There are circumstances around the preparation and the, and the sort of the, the fact that this New Zealand series has come right at the end of a, a, a yeah a fairly arduous tour. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, England need a break basically in yeah. Test cricket. No, there's 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 mitigating factors, or you could look at it and say it's not quite as bad as it appears on the surface. But I'd I'd be more forgiving, I think, if the noises coming out of the England camp were like, yeah, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, we need we're to trying think about making way, changes. Yeah. But they like certainly coming out of the ashes, the feeling <laughs> from them was very much like, yeah, it wasn't really that bad. We could have won it. Things are actually pretty great. Yeah, you know, it after losing four nil, that was pretty uh, galling to hear. And and yeah, I I do hope that this will be a bit of a wake up call. Fifty eight all out. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's always the case that you change the bowlers when the batsmen self-destruct. But what do you do? I mean, there's just no batsman in the squad. Like, you could change the batting, but maybe bring in Liam Livingston, and maybe they should bring in Liam Livingston, but there's not a lot of options. It's not like, oh, if only we'd had James Vince in there, this wouldn't have happened. You can make changes to the bowling attack because there are options. There just aren't really options in the batting. And that, again, is what really concerns me, is less that... Or it would be better if you thought, yes, the batting is bad. They need to get these guys out because there are people knocking on the door. There's no one knocking on the door, really. That's the bigger concern. Yeah, there's a lot of head scratching going on. I'm certainly scratching my head. Much like a piece of sandpaper down Cameron Bancroft's trousers, this episode of The World Cricket Show has touched some very sensitive areas and we're now desperately hoping to get rid of it. Have you had fun tonight, Tony? It's been all right, yeah. I've just got back from a, a, few, a few days away, so feeling on, on holiday, you might yeah, say. Feeling slightly groggy still <laughs> and uh, a bit chubby, and not not thinking straight. So where did you go? Uh, just France, the country of France. Oh yeah, I've yeah. heard of it. Uh, yeah, just did a yeah, potted about Paris, a bit of wine, a lot of wine. <laughs> you were saying to me that the uh, person organising the trip. I emailed everyone before with like a list of things not to forget to pack, and one of them was Rennie's. No, oh, that was the uh, literally the only item on the pack. Oh, that was list. the only yeah. item. Yeah. <laughs> it's like indigestion tablets, right? Yeah, everyone had a sort of emergency Rennie pouch, <laughs> which they hung around their neck. Yeah, it yeah. sounded like a lot of food was consumed. It was a, l- a huge amount of food, drink, uh, a lot of rich food, a lot of drink. Two, three course meals a day, you said. something like that. Yeah. That's ridiculous for a week. <laughs> substantial, yeah, substantial. <laughs> I don't I actually don't think my my brain is not functioning properly uh, since uh, for the last few days. So I suddenly need to detox. You're like some kind of medieval <laughs> lord over the last week. Yeah, that mm. was good though. Paris is nice, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. Went up the Arc de Triomphe, which I've not done before. Arc de Triomphe. Uh, Arc de Triomphe. Yeah. The Eiffel Tower. Nice country, France, isn't it? Paris is, uh, yeah, it's different, isn't it? It's different to London. (laughs) Oh, right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be interested to hear more. (laughs) Have you got any material? Yeah, I don't have any material, really. It's, I just it, it astounds me just to think about how many photos are taken every day in Paris. Mm. I mean, l- everyone is just taking photos all the time. I mean, I took a few, don't get me wrong. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I was following your Instagram. But it just, I mean, you know, obviously there's a modern condition as well to that. But yeah, I mean, 
it, just astonishing. And that no one's doing anything other than taking photos. Well, yeah, we've talked about it before. Like when you see people going around the Louvre or whatever, and they're just taking pictures of every single yeah piece of art when are they going to look at those photos what are they going to get from the photos i genuinely don't understand it actually in paris i went to see the uh, football at euro 2016 last summer the guy sat next to me was just videoing the entire (laughs) game he had but he had like a an actual video camera which you don't see a lot of anymore like a panasonic whatever and he videoed the whole game and occasionally with his left hand (laughs) he got his iphone out of his pocket and took some pictures but like when is he ever like do you think at this point you know, on a on a Tuesday night, two years later, he's just like, oh, you know what? I might sit down and watch the uh, the video I took from that portrait. Sure, he sure he wasn't the analyst, <laughs> like the French analyst, isn't it? He did. Uh, he had ITV across his back. It was quite a big camera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah not really sure. So one day, someone will give me the answer to this. I mean, you know, we're both guilty of it. We both take photos. You we you turn up somewhere, you take a photo. Yeah, uh, but. Yeah, some things that people take photos of is just baffling. Like, what what are you ever going to get out of that? I guess it's particularly noticeable in Paris, isn't it? Because it's just so touristy. Oh, like, every, yeah. Astonishing. Yeah. I mean, maybe I, I don't know Paris that well. You know, I didn't get out of the, maybe, of the areas where the tourists and me were hanging out. Yeah. Well, I, I do know Paris quite well, too, because, as you know, my, my partner is from Paris. And having spent quite a lot of time there, particularly last summer, it is funny how quite quickly you know the the kind of novelty of it or that you, you stop sort of seeing that like amazing thing that you see when you're first there as a tourist i mean it's still it's an incredible city to be in but when you've walked across those bridges for like the 50th time mm. or whatever it's it, it's it's not the same so it is funny when you see all those tourists there and they've they're taking all those pictures because they just can't believe it and they've never seen this before I just imagine if you lived there or anywhere that's like if you lived like near the pyramids or whatever, it must it's quite an odd concept that you just become so desensitized mm. to this thing that is like the ultimate dream for a lot of people around the world. Yeah, quite. Yeah. Well, this is fascinating, yeah, it's isn't it? Good stuff, isn't it? This? It's good stuff. <laughs> I was about to say, we have not talked about the World Cup qualifiers tonight because we haven't had time. <laughs> and now we're just talking about Paris. ramblings. Uh, but yes, unfortunately, we did say we'd talk about the World Cup qualifier and there's a lot to say about that as well, isn't there? Because, you know, obviously that's been very controversial. We've touched a lot of controversial topics tonight, but been very controversial that, um, yeah, it's only a 10-team World Cup and only two teams came out of that qualifier. Lots to say there. But I think we're going to have to save that for next time because it's uh, otherwise we're going to go ridiculously long. Uh, well, we're going to be back soon to talk about the, uh, the the second test of the New Zealand series and the World Cup qualifier and, and all sorts of things besides. But in the meantime, if you enjoy the World Cricket Show, uh, get involved on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, at Cricket Show, we're on Instagram. Write a review for us on iTunes. That's a really great great way to uh, to help us out uh, or, or on whatever podcast platform that you use because it does bring a lot of people to the show. And if you want to support the show financially, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. You can do it when you're doing your Amazon shopping. Go first of all to cricketshow.net and hit the link there. Uh, or you can make a, a regular donation at patreon.com slash cricketshow. Uh, and as we've mentioned a few times before, we are using new equipment that we bought thanks to your support on Patreon. So yeah, many, many thanks to everyone who signed up for that. I need to go and change the battery in the uh, fire alarm. Yeah, I don't know if anyone can hear that. Just all the way, all the way through, there's been an occasional squeak. About 30 minutes in, I said to Tim, what is that? Oh, it's uh, just the, the smoke alarm. 
think it needs a new battery. It's like, yes, that's exactly what it yeah. is. Doing. I did try and unscrew it yesterday. I couldn't get it off, so I need to have another go. You could get it off, so you went, oh, well. Yeah, so literally, that's what I did. I went, oh, I'll leave it. <laughs> I'll take care of it. So. Or maybe Emily will do it for yeah, you. Yeah, that, probably. All right, well, thanks a lot for that, Tane. Stay in school, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon. Jerry. Bye-bye for now. To smell your fear Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.